Hope you guys have been enjoying this series on the Ten Commandments uh, entitled Flourish. The whole idea behind the message series is that we would understand that God's commands actually help us flourish in our lives. And so I hope that you're getting that from the series that we've been leading you through. And today we're going to continue looking at the Eighth Commandment, which simply is stated, do not steal. So that's Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 15. If you want to look that up in your Bible, it's really just two words in the original language. Don't steal. Pretty simple, pretty simple command. And yet, do we really need to hear that today? Well, hopefully you'll understand at the end of the message, there's some reasons, some relevance to why we need to talk about this because it's obviously important enough for God to make it one of his top 10. First church I ever served in uh, was actually Aaron's home church, Flint Baptist Church over outside of Tyler. And when I was there, I was called there to be the youth minister many, many years ago. And it was a small little rural church at the time. And the chairman of the search committee after I accepted the call, he pulled me aside and he told me two things. He said, first of all, I just want you to understand a couple of things. First of all, you have $400 in your youth budget for the year, okay? And he said, really, you don't even really have that. He goes, because honestly, we only, you only have $400 if we give the budget for the year. So you really don't even have that. And I was like, okay, great, that's super. And he said, second thing is, um, you're gonna need to teach the seventh grade boys Sunday school class. There are about 15 of them that come every week and we can't get anybody to teach them. They go in there for a little while, the adults go in there and the, the kids always drive them out and they won't stay. And so that's going to be your job. And I was like, okay, well, at the time I was 22 years old, I'm like, I've, I've never met a 12 year old I'm afraid of. So, but 15 of them, maybe, I don't know. So there's a Christian life center gymnasium with some Sunday school rooms around it. And those boys met on the second floor of that room. One Sunday, they locked me out of the classroom. I had to go do something. I came back, they locked the door and after threatening their life, they let me in only to discover that they were dangling the youngest, the smallest of them out the second floor window by his ankles. So that's, that's the kind of kids these were. They were great kids. They, they came to church every Sunday, mostly uh, uninterested in the things of God. So I would, I would take the Bible and I would take the lesson that I was supposed to teach them. And typically it was, you know, eight to 10 Bible verses out of a passage of scripture that I was going to exegete for them and lay all my knowledge on them and they didn't care anything at all about what I was there to teach. So it was a challenge for me and I, after several weeks of sort of beating my head against the wall and praying and saying, God, these kids are driving me crazy and, and they don't care anything about what we're studying. They don't seem to care anything about you. Help me with this. So one Sunday I had this idea that I would go in there. Remember, I was 22. This was my first church position, okay? I went in there. I said, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to set the curriculum aside for several weeks however long it takes. And what I want to do is I'm going to say for the sake of illustration, for the sake of what we're going to do in here, this experiment, that you guys as a group, individually and as a group are going to pretend that you're God. I know I was 22. Okay. And here's what I said. I want you each to go away this week on your own. And I want you to come up with and develop your top 10 rules for people. Because now you're God and all the people in the world are your people. And I want you to come up with your top 10 list of rules for how you want them to live. Things you want them to do, things you don't want them to do. And I was surprised when we came back the next Sunday, most of them had some list. They may not have had 10 things. And most of them didn't have any resemblance to what's in the Bible, which was okay because they were thinking. And so what I said when we came back together the second week is I said, now... Now I want you to collectively act like you're God and I want you to take all your lists because we put them all on a whiteboard. I said, I want you to take all your lists and I want you to distill them down into 10 and you all have to agree on them and you have to argue and you have to debate and you have to tell me the why behind the what. I want to know why you think this, and they had some crazy stuff on there, but you know what every single one of them had on their list? Do not steal. 
Why is that? Because all of us kind of get the basic fact that life works really well. You flourish when no one steals from you and when you don't steal from someone else. So eventually uh, what we did through that message series with them and that curriculum that I developed for them was to help them understand the heart of God. I wanted them to not just see his commands. I wanted them to see why. I wanted them to see his heart for them and why he would give them the 10 lists that he gave them that's found in scripture here in Exodus. So this morning, what I wanna do with, with, with you is help you see the why behind this command, sort of why it's in the Bible. You know, Jesus in Matthew 22, he summarized the 10 commandments, all the commandments actually, down into two. He said, this is the most important command that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second command is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, part of loving our neighbors as ourself is not taking things from them that doesn't belong to us. It's not stealing from them. And that's a very important thing. So there's a couple of discoveries that I want you to see this morning as we work through this passage. And the first is this, that stealing is a sin against God. That's so obvious it doesn't really even need to be said, does it? But, but we're going to say it because it's obvious. It's true. Stealing is a sin against God. It may be so obvious, but I want you to see this morning that God's intention for human beings is that we never take possessions from someone else or resources from someone else that doesn't belong to us. So essentially, stealing is a substitute for three things. First, it's a substitute for work. You know, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, and this is what he said to him. He said in verse, chapter four, verse 28, he said, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, remember, Paul is saying this to Christians. So were the thieves in the church at Ephesus? Yeah, or Paul wouldn't have needed to say this. He says to them, stop stealing and start working so that you're not only able to have honest resources for yourself, but also to be able to be generous with people who have a need. And I love that. Um, the, the unfortunate reality is that today, sometimes we still have thieves at church. Sorry to tell you that, <laughs> but several years ago, we actually had to terminate someone at our church because they were stealing from the church, from the church. And yet they were actively attending the church every week. So I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the, the idea that, that Christians don't need to hear this, that it's not relevant to us because we don't think of ourselves as thieves, the reality is maybe someone here does need to hear that. I have way too many stories and there's not enough time today to share with you all the examples of people who have actually violated this sin against God inside the church. It's unfortunate, but it, it is true. So God says that a life that flourishes is a life that works, that a substitute for work is stealing. People often will say, well, I don't want to work for that. I don't want to wait for that. So I'm going to take control of it myself and do something. You guys ever as a kid have a lemonade stand? You know, yeah, because your parents told you, right? At some point, well, if you want that thing, whatever it is, we're not going to give you the money for it. You're going to have to figure out a way to make that money, to earn that money. You're going to have to work for that money so that you can save your money and purchase whatever that thing is. I bet your parents never came to you and said, well, if you really want that thing, you're going to have to figure out how to steal it. No? Yeah, probably not. Hopefully you didn't have parents like that. I started mowing yards when I was eight years old because I could see that if I wanted certain things in my life, my parents were going to provide the basic things for me, but that was it. After that, I had to find my own way to make money in order to buy the things that I wanted. And so Paul says that's actually Christian. To work is not a bad thing. 
And oftentimes people steal as a substitute for just doing honest work. And I love that Paul mentions generosity because to me, one of the most Christian, highest Christian values that we have is being generous with other people because it demonstrates to people the heart of God. There's no more generous being in the entire universe or in any universe anywhere than God himself. God has always given, he's always sacrificed for his people that he loves. And he's modeled that for us. And it's an opportunity for us to model that for other people. I love to be generous with people and it's sort of unexpected. They, they often will look at you kind of like, why would you do that? Because that's what God's done for me. And you have the same opportunity as well to be generous. I like what Dave Ramsey says in Financial Peace University. He says, live like no one else now so that later you can live like no one else and give like no one else. And of course, if you understand Dave Ramsey's philosophy, it's like save your money, work hard, don't go into debt and have resources stored up so that you can be a resource for people when they have need. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Working instead of stealing so that you can have honest work and honest means to gain resources that you need and then to be generous with other people. But stealing is not only a substitute for working. Stealing is a substitute for contentment. Paul says something amazing about contentment. He says that he had to learn contentment. And contentment's one of those things that's a fleeting thing in our lives. We may have it at some moment and it may be gone later. We may look around at other people and think about all the things they have, the resources that they have access to. Maybe it's the stuff they wear, the clothes they have, or the cars they drive, or the house they live in, or the trips they take, or whatever it might be. And we may be tempted to go, I wish I had that. And sometimes that's a motivation in people's lives to steal instead of being content. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, whether we have electricity or don't. He didn't say that. I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul said, I had to learn to be content. Have you learned to be content? Often people who get into thievery or stealing are doing that because they're motivated out of a lack of contentment in their life. And Paul said he had to learn contentment. Contentment says, I can wait. Contentment says, I may not need that right now. I'll wait on the Lord to bring that into my life, whatever that thing is that I think I need. Contentment says my joy, my happiness is not built on possessions. It's built on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is in my life. So several years ago, there was a lady in a church in Longview who was actually working in that church's financial department and it was discovered that she had been embezzling money, God's money, from the church. And when she was confronted about that, it said in the newspaper that she admitted that the reason for that, her motivation for stealing from God essentially was that her husband didn't make enough money and she didn't make enough money to have the possessions, the things that she wanted. She wasn't content. And oftentimes, stealing is a substitute for contentment. It's a means of, of getting what you want without doing it God's way. And then third, stealing is a substitute for trust. And this is what Paul says when he's talking about learning contentment because he says the secret of contentment, of course, is realizing that God provides everything that I need. Stealing is a shortcut, really, 
to God's provision in my life. It's taking matters into my own hands and saying, I'm not gonna wait on the Lord. I'm not gonna trust the Lord. He may not do it my way. He may not give me what I want. I want this thing and I want it now. So I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get it instead of waiting on him. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows, that's important, your heavenly father knows. He knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. Stealing is a lack of trust in God's character. It's basically saying, God, you're not enough. I can't trust you with what I really need, which doesn't really make any sense because most of us in this room, I'm sure, have put our faith in Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation, which we've said essentially, I'm trusting you to save me for eternity, but I can't trust you with my contentment and my joy and happiness in this life. You can trust God. The reality is that sometimes people show a lack of trust by actually stealing from God. That's what the Bible says. In Malachi 3, it says this, will a man rob God? Will he steal from God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. This is God speaking. Bring the full tenth, the tithe, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Have you ever stolen anything from God? Are you currently stealing from God? That's the way God describes it. When we withhold our tithes and our offerings from him, he says that essentially it's robbing him. It's stealing from him instead of trusting him. To me, again, it doesn't make sense to trust him with your soul and not trust him with your finances and your resources. And oftentimes Christians steal from God. And when we steal, whether we steal from God or someone else, we create a negative testimony. We essentially are saying to the world, the people around us, God's not enough. You need God plus. God plus your own means, God plus something else. And if you study the Old Testament, what you see is that that was one of the redundant sins of the nation of Israel, is that they were constantly saying, yes, we'll worship you, Yahweh, but we also need to worship Baal. Because if we don't worship Baal, our crops won't grow right. Our animals will be blemished and messed up and we need spotless animals. We need animals we can take to the market and sell for a lot of money. And so the reality is we need you, God. Yes, we're glad to worship you, but we're also gonna worship Baal over here because we need what he provides for us too. And God constantly sent prophets to his people to say, stop, you don't need Baal. You don't need me plus anything. You don't need God plus anything. I am enough. I will supply your needs. So like in the book of Hosea, who was a prophet, this is what God says about Israel. She does not recognize that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. So many times the people of Israel thought that when their crops came in and their animals produced well, that they were the result of what their, their Baal worship, their, their worship of a false god. They didn't give God the, the glory and credit for that. They thought that was because of Baal in their life. And what God says to them is it was never Baal because Baal's not even a real God. I'm the only true God. I'm the one that gave you those things. I'm the one that blessed you. I'm the one that provided for you. 
but you will not trust that that is enough in your life. And so essentially they were stealing from God and they were giving what God blessed them with to a false God. And so many times we do the same thing today. Can I just testify this morning, y'all? Can I give you a testimony of God's faithfulness? Because every time in my life, every single time without fail, that I have trusted in the Lord for financial needs, he has provided in his time, in his way, but he's always provided, always. So I'm, I'm, a testi- I'm giving testimony this morning that dependence always leads to provision when it comes to God. And when we get against something in our life, when we find ourselves in a, a tough situation, an unexpected expense comes into our life and we think, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna meet this need? Provision is given when we trust God. Dependence always leads to provision. And I just wanna encourage you this morning that stealing is not the means for having what you need. Trusting God as his child is the means. God will provide for you when you trust in him. So stealing is a sin against God. But second this morning, I want you to see that stealing is a sin against another person. It's pretty obvious if you take from someone that you're sinning against that person. And, and stealing takes many forms. My, um, my stepdad has passed away now, but when he was alive, he was the comptroller for Tyler Pipe over in Tyler for 40, a little over 40 years. And one of the things I like to do with him when we would go over and see them in Tyler is have him tell me stories of, of his experience as the comptroller of this, this big company because part of his responsibility was risk management. So part of what he, he was out to do was stop theft in the company. And he said, you'd be amazed at the things people would do who worked for our company to steal from our company. So he told me a lot of different stories. One of the most fascinating stories he told me was about this particular this, uh, scrap company that sold scrap metal to Tyler Pipe because they made a lot of cast iron pipes, so they bought a lot of cast iron scrap metal. And the trucks would roll in and go across the scales and then they would go dump their load and they'd get paid. And he was doing the numbers and it wasn't matching up. The amount of weight that they were bringing in versus how much they were paying per pound wasn't adding up. There was, they were short on scrap metal based on the amount of money they were paying out. So he began to research that. This has gone on for months and months. And so what he finally figured out was going on is that these trucks were coming in and they had a false floor in them. Essentially, the depth of the truck was very shallow and the scrap metal was piled up on top to look like the truck was full of scrap metal, but most, most of the truck was empty. And he couldn't figure out though why when they went across the scales, the truck weighed so heavy because they would come back across the scale empty and weigh the truck versus what was in the truck. And so um, I don't remember exactly how he figured this out, but he basically called the Texas Rangers and, and had them come. And one night when the truck came in to roll across the scale, he'd put a Texas Ranger down in the bottom of the scales. And he figured out that a man had been in that truck and he would drop down through a trap door into the scale and monkey with the scale in order to make it read like the truck was heavy. And basically they were stealing from the company. And the last time the man dropped down in there, there was a Texas Ranger standing there with a gun on him. (laughs) And they put an end to it. Now, why would I tell you that story? Because the Bible talks about a false balance, a false scale. In fact, this is what it says in Proverbs. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. Because a, a false scale is essentially a way for someone to steal from another person. In those days, someone would bring their crops or whatever, they'd put them on the scale and they'd weigh them. Well, you would just assume that the scale's accurate. But what if it's not accurate? What if the scale is weighted to benefit the person who's buying the produce instead of the person who's selling it? And that's what would happen. So essentially, 
they were stealing from their own brothers and sisters. And God says, that's detestable to me. That doesn't work. That's not what God wants for any of us to steal from one another. And people sin against each other when they do that. The Bible has a high standard. In fact, in the book of Exodus, you'll remember this, when Moses had been uh, judging the people all day long and he was wearing himself out and he went to his father-in-law Jethro and Jethro gave him some great advice. He said, you need to, you're wearing yourself out, Moses. You can't do this day in and day out. Listen to all the, the court cases and the disputes that people have with each other. You need to get some help. You need to recruit some other men to help you be judges basically over these particular disputes that people have. And when he gave him a list of things to look for, in those judges, this is what it says in Exodus 18, 21. This is Jethro speaking to Moses. He said, but you should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and this is so important, and hating, dishonest prophet. What he was saying is the standard is that you want to find men who will not take a bribe. In other words, who won't accept stealing. Because when you bribe someone to get what you want, you're essentially stealing whatever that thing is. And that's the standard. And it's a great study. I would encourage you to do a study of the phrase dishonest gain or dishonest profit throughout the Bible because it's talked about often. And it's a higher standard. People may say, well, yeah, I took that thing, but I took it from somebody who didn't really need it. I had, you know, when I was a youth minister, kids would ask me these, you know, ethical, hypothetical questions about things. And I would always say to them when it came to taking something that didn't belong to them, I would always say, well, can you be completely honest about where you got it and how you got it? Well, no. Like if you cheated in school and your teacher came and asked you, could you be honest about how you got that grade? Would you be honest about saying how you got it? No. If you can't be honest about how you gained a resource or a possession in your life, then the Bible condemns it and says if it's dishonest, if your gain, if your profit was dishonest, then it's not something that honors God. And so that's a high standard, a higher standard than simply taking something. People often take things and make excuses and they say, well, that person didn't really need it or they're not gonna really miss it. They have a whole lot of stuff, right? And the Bible says, did you gain it dishonestly? Because if you gain it dishonestly, it's not something that honors the Lord. So stealing takes many forms, but stealing values possessions over people. And that's really important because in the scripture, we're commanded to value people over everything else under God. Not possessions over people, but people over possessions. That's what agape love is. Agape really means that when we're commanded to love one another, it's this word agape. We're commanded to place supreme value on people, which means I'm gonna place more value on people than I am on stuff. And sometimes those things are gonna be in conflict in your life. Sometimes you're gonna have to make a decision. Am I gonna value this person over my stuff, over my comfort, whatever it may be? Or am I gonna live out the truth of the gospel and value people over stuff? We steal when we devalue people and we value possessions more. We should love people and use things instead of using people and and loving things. And that's sometimes what we do. And the other thing I want you to see about this idea of stealing is that stealing ruins relationships. I think we all get that. If you steal from someone, it breaks a very basic elemental trust that we all need to have. If some, you find out that someone stole something from you, whether it's someone you knew or didn't know, especially if it's someone you know, wow, you begin to think, how could I ever trust this person with anything of value in my life again? It hurts and ruins the relationship. Um, John Claypool tells a story about two brothers who owned a store together many, many years ago. 
And that one day, uh, the first brother came in, he was doing transaction with a guy, and the guy paid him with a $5 bill, and he set the $5 bill on top of the cash register, and he failed to put it in the cash register, and he went about his business, and the brothers were working the store together there, and he, he realized in a few minutes that he had uh, failed to put the $5 bill in the cash register, so he went back, and the $5 bill wasn't there. And so he thought, well, maybe he looked around under the cash register, he looked around everywhere on the counter and the floor, he didn't find it. And he was like, well, maybe my brother put it up. And so he went and found his brother in the store. He said, hey, a few minutes ago, a guy came in and bought something and I failed to put the money in the cash register. It was a $5 bill. Did you, did you take that $5 bill and put it up? And he goes, I haven't been to the cash register this morning. I haven't done anything with that. And he's sitting there thinking, well, what in the world happened to that $5 bill? It's weird. So day went on. He went home that night and his wife was asking about his day. And he said, well, this is one little thing that kind of bugs me. He goes, there was this $5 bill that I failed to put in the cash register. It's my fault. But he goes, Nobody came in the store and my brother says he never touched it, but I, I can't imagine what happened to that $5 bill and it's really eaten on me because he had to have done something with it because it was there and then it's gone and it can't just disappear into thin air. And so the next day he went to his brother and he said, listen, maybe you forgot. He goes, are you sure that you didn't take that $5 bill and put it in the cash register or did you have it somewhere? And he goes, I didn't do anything with the cash register that morning. I didn't even have a transaction. Nobody was in the store. So no, I don't know anything about the $5 bill. Well, eventually the distrust began to build between the brothers. And the second brother got angry because the first brother questioned his integrity. And the first brother was angry because he could not figure out any other explanation for what happened to the $5 bill. Eventually the tr distrust grew to such a point that they split the business and built a wall down the middle of the store and they didn't speak to each other anymore. Over $5. Several years went by and a guy came in the store one day and he said, uh, hey, I need to talk to whoever the owner is. And the first brother was the one who talked to him. And he said, several years ago, I was down on my luck and I was really hurting and I was hungry. And I came by your store and the door was open and I walked in and there was nobody at the cash register and I saw a $5 bill sitting there and I took it. I stole it. And I shouldn't have. And hopefully it's not a big deal to you. Hopefully it hasn't done any damage. Hopefully it hasn't hurt anything. I'm glad to pay it back and over that amount if you need me to. I'm glad to make restitution. He had no idea that the theft that he had committed had caused those two brothers' relationship to essentially end because stealing ruins relationships. It does. Even though neither one of those brothers stole from each other, the accusation, the thought of it, caused them to distrust each other. And that's often what happens in relationships because the number one killer of every relationship is selfishness. And when someone steals from someone else, essentially what they're saying is, I'm more important than you are. What I want in this situation matters more than you to me. And that's a relation killer. It's a relationship killer. So what do you do if you're, what do you do if you're guilty of committing the sin of stealing? Well, you repent. <laughs> the Bible talks about changing your mind. You stop, as if Paul said, you stop, let the thief stop stealing and start working. You make a change in your life. You change your mind about it first and say, it's no longer the means for me to acquire possessions or resources. I'm going to begin to trust God with my needs that I have in my life. But I may need to repent to God, certainly, but because I've sinned against someone, I may need to go to them and repent to them. It may be something they're not even aware of. I may need to go find them and tell them, like the man in the story, that I took something from you, whether you're aware of it or not, and it was wrong. And not only do I need to tell you that, but I need to make restitution as well. 
Remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19? Jesus came to see, his, came to his town and Zacchaeus is a short man. He's up in the tree and nobody likes Zacchaeus because he's a tax collector. He's a crook. He's a thief, essentially. And nobody liked him. And Jesus said, come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to your house and have dinner. And the, the relationship that he formed with Zacchaeus caused Zacchaeus to repent. And he said, whatever I've taken, I'll give half of my possessions away. And then whatever I've taken from other people, I'll repay them up to four times what I owe them. I'll be, go beyond restitution because God had done such a work in his heart. When I was a youth pastor, I had a young man who worked for, in, a, in a youth ministry, he worked uh, at a local convenience store part-time. And he called me one night and he was very upset. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, uh, I've been working at this convenience store for several months. And he said, over time, I just began to take things like a Coke or a candy bar or bag of chips or whatever. And he said, you know, I'm here by myself. The owner trusts me with the business. And I, I said, well, let me just stop you right there. Did the owner give you permission to just take whatever you want and eat if you need to have a snack or whatever? He goes, no. I said, okay. He said, well, I don't know what to do. I said, well, obviously you, you're sad, sad about this. You're sorry about it. You've come to the place where you realize it's wrong and you want to do something about it. You want to change is what I hear in your heart and mind. Is that right? And he goes, yeah. I said, okay. Repent to God and then go tell your boss. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, he may fire me. He may seek prosecution against me. I said, whatever the consequences are, the consequences are. You can't change that. You can continue to live a lie. You can continue. You can't just repent to God and not repent to him because God is about integrity. So you can't just say, I'm sorry, God, and go on and act like it never happened because you've wronged this person. You've sinned against someone. So my encouragement as someone who follows Christ, he goes, but, but I'm, I've tried to be a good Christian example to my boss and now what's he gonna think of me? I said, well, what's he gonna think of you when he catches you stealing from him? So why not go tell him and be honest about it? At least that way you maintain your integrity and you restore, hopefully, you restore your blamelessness. Blamelessness doesn't mean you're innocent. It doesn't mean you never sinned. It just means you've confessed to the point that now that person can't point the finger at you and say, I caught you. Before you get caught, <laughs> go confess to him, which he did. And the guy honestly was like, well, I'm going to fire you either way because I, I don't trust you now, but I do appreciate the fact that you came and told me and that you were honest about it. That carries some weight with me. Sometimes that's what we have to do. If we've wronged someone by stealing from them, then we need to go make restitution with him or seek to make restitution with him. And sometimes our repentance to that person is a, is a testimony to them that God is actually at work in our lives. You know, one of the things that, um, that you've probably seen, uh, Kirk Cameron and, and Ray Comfort will go out and do street evangelism. Maybe you've seen those videos where they use the Ten Commandments and they confront people uh, based on their own desire to, to look righteous before uh, man and Ray Comfort will ask him, have you ever told a lie? And they say, yes. And he'll eventually ask him, have you ever stolen anything? And most people say yes to that. If I ask you that question this morning, you probably would admit that you have. I have stolen things in my life, in my past. I have, especially before I knew Christ. That was a part of my life. I, I took things that didn't belong to me. It's not right or good. But the reality is the law condemns us. The law causes us to, to see ourselves as we really are, guilty and in need of forgiveness. That's really what the law does, is it's sent to us, the Bible says, as a teacher, as an instructor, to point out the things in our life that are wrong, where we can't stand before God and say, yeah, but I'm a righteous person, I haven't done anything. No, the law convicts us, every one of us, at some point. 
And so Ray Comfort would talk to these people and say, you've lied, you've stolen, you've lusted, so by your own admission, you're a thief and a liar and an adulterer. <laughs> now where's your righteousness? You don't have any. None of us do. And he would say, so you're in a big, you have a big problem in your life because you're, you have sin before God and you have no way to resolve it. But let me tell you the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died for you to provide for you forgiveness and salvation. And he said about himself that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. But he said, the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we're still sinful people, God sent Christ to die for us. And that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So when you when you admit that you're a sinner, when you admit that you've broken God's law, whether it's stealing or something else, and you come to him and you ask him to forgive you sincerely and your heart is repentant in the sense that you're saying, I don't wish to continue in my sin. I'm turning away from that. The Bible says when you do that, that he meets you where you are and he promises to save you. And I heard Adrian Rogers say this once and I've, I've used this over and over again in my own life. He said, if God ever breaks one of his promises, he ceases to be God. So God can't break his promise to you. He won't break his promise to you because he's faithful and true. And so God's promise to you is when you call upon him, he will save you. And I make you the same promise this morning that someone made to me when I was 15, almost 16 years of age. And that was all my sin could be forgiven. All your sin could be forgiven. All your past could be forgotten. All my past could be forgotten. And you could start your life over today, right now with Jesus Christ. So where you are, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in a response in just a minute. But before they do that, I want to give you the opportunity to do what I did when I was 15, almost 16 years of age, and that's trust Christ as my Savior. It's very simple. It's very simple. Even a child could do it. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ, I've never done that. And honestly, I know I've broken God's laws, but I want to fall on God's mercy this morning. I want to appeal to his grace and God is a gracious giving God and he will save you completely this morning. And if that's you and you'd say, I need salvation and I want Jesus, would you just raise your hand? I'm the only one that's looking this morning. Anybody? And these guys raised your hand this morning. I'm just gonna lead you through a time of calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, this morning, I pray for these folks and I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage. Lord, I pray now, that they would put their trust in you. And I pray that you would use your word today to convict, to comfort, to do what you want to do. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.